Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies. Beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. It's so good to be with you. Today, we are going to dive deep into the nitty-gritty of spinal cord rehab as we get a glimpse into the mindset of one of the only 14 model spinal cord injury centers in the United States and the tough choices that have to be made. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit? And Blink of an Eye is on social media. You can find out more about the Blink of an Eye initiatives, trauma healing, new episodes, and more. You can follow blinkofaneye.org on Instagram at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and on Facebook at the URL facebook.com backslash www.blinkofaneye.org. Links to those platforms will be in the show notes. Before we go back to the story, if you hear of a spinal cord injury family in the crisis hours or days following injury, please connect them to www.blinkofaneye.org. We are so grateful to our donors and volunteers. If you know of someone with spinal cord injury medical expertise who is interested in making a difference in the lives of those in SCI trauma, please let them know that they, too, can be part of the Blink of an Eye family support and navigation team effort. As the nonprofit is recruiting physicians trained in neurology, like neurourologists and neuropulmonologists, to be part of the Spinal Cord Injury Medical Expert Panel, and to support the Blink of an Eye Navigators working directly with families. And all Blink of an Eye listeners are invited to be part of the Blink of an Eye Family Support Team to volunteer as spiritual warriors praying specifically for SCI families whom the Blink of an Eye team is working with. And for those listeners who are creative or who like to have written connection, the Blink of an Eye Family Support Team is recruiting artists and letter writers for the Hope Lifters campaign to send daily words of inspiration and encouragement to spinal cord injury families in the first 30 days of crisis. If any of these ministries is calling out to you, go to the nonprofit blinkofaneye.org website or send me an email at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com and I'll get you connected. 
Okay, back to the blink of an eye origin story. The time is flying by and Archer has still not been able to fully participate in rehab and all that Shepard has to offer because of the ongoing, painful, time-consuming, and exhausting breathing and pulmonary complications. He is still fighting to breathe on his own. Will he ever? In this episode, you will have the chance to meet Kelly Sidnor, another mom of a son with quadriplegia. Oh, by the way, the spinal cord injury medical field is changing the terminology as we speak. Beginning in 2022, we are referring to paralysis related specifically to spinal cord injury accidents as tetraplegia, reserving the term quadriplegia to refer to any paralysis of the upper and lower body. But you will hear me use the terms interchangeably in this podcast as we toggle between the past and the now. By way of background, Kelly Sidnor is the mom of Cole, who was also injured in the ocean in August, a few years before Archer, when he too was just turning 17 years old. Kelly and Cole had also been at Shepherd, just like Archer and I were, and they too had had ventilator issues, and they too had been told they were slow to wean. And she, too, had clashed with the shepherd staff. It is also worth noting that Kelly was the second mom of a son with tetraplegia to reach out to me in the early days at Atlanticare when Archer was first injured. And I have interviewed her for our Ask Louise series, if you want to follow that for spinal cord injury families and friends. My interactions with both Kelly and Sue Wonder in the early days, by text and by phone, lay the foundation for the creation of the Family and Support Navigation Team for Spinal Cord Injury Families in Crisis, provided by the nonprofit Blink of an Eye. I thank these generous and selfless moms who were complete strangers to me, but who reached out to support me in those crisis days. Our crisis with Archer continued into the third month, and I called upon Kelly again, and you will hear from her in this story episode. Oh, this is an episode of those unpredictable ups and downs, and it will give you a real glimpse into a teenager's spinal cord injury rehabilitation. Welcome to Episode 16, Margaritas for Trauma Healing. Settle in. Take a deep breath and anticipate the insights you might have today about your life or a loved one's life, especially a young adult whose life is turned upside down. Here we go. 
As a parent, it feels like the days are racing by, packed with planning and orchestrating all that we have to do to change and plan for Archer's future. And it also feels like we're not moving at all. It's crazy. And on top of that push and pull, it also feels like we have been here a long time and we want to go home. And yet, we also desperately want to stay as long as we possibly can. It remains very complicated. The situation was heating up with the Shepherd Center, as I had time when I was briefly away to consider my new insights about trauma and Archer's situation. As I would inquire about how they might take his emotional traumatic experience into account for the expectations of weaning and rehab, I had begun to ask Archer's counselor if she could inquire into this with him. But he continued to tell me that all she wanted to talk about with him was his sexuality and sex. Sure, sexuality and sex are important, but he was just 16, two weeks before the accident. What happened to talking about identity and belonging and hope and self-worth and self-esteem and the ability to hold a future vision for oneself that feels connected to others and is resilient. I felt we and Shepard were growing more and more apart philosophically. And it was painful because I wanted to be a partner with Shepard. I so admired and even revered the expertise of the Shepherd Center. But it seemed no one was taking into account the life-altering impact on a young 17-year-old's mind, body, heart, and soul, and the interconnectedness of all of this on his view of himself and his life as he knew it. While each day brought flashes of triumph, each day also presented new pitfalls. And the biggest pit seemed to be the one in my stomach. My body was telling me that major change was ahead. And it was making me sick to my stomach. Even though my heart and head felt strongly aligned with the potential for a creative miracle that Archer Sempt would walk again. I had faith that whatever setback we faced would not be permanent and that all change could be positive. But the not knowing, the waiting, was taking its toll. All I knew was that I believed in Archer. I always will. October 1st, personal journal note. 
what is counseling anyway? I mean, who is to say that someone is depressed? And even if they are, who wouldn't be at age 17 when your life is upside down and you can't move or even speak? And no one around you seems to have confidence in you that anything's going to change. Give me a break. Archer's not depressed. He's just grieving. I called Kelly Sidnor. I had tried a couple times during the last couple days, but we could never talk in private, as there was never a room not occupied at the Shepherd Center by someone. And I didn't want to leave Archer for any length of time during the day, because things were very unpredictable for who would walk in, what assessment would be taken, or if we would be left alone for many hours waiting on someone. We often didn't know who. Who would then come in and look at some equipment and leave, and I never knew what it was about. The waiting on someone to come see us in our room to tell us what the plan was for the day or the next day was painful. Did they forget about us? The schedule they had made for Archer each week was never followed. They had assigned him a counselor, which I was glad about, finally. I had hoped they would talk about his injury or figure out how Archer might talk about it. I was good at reading his lips, but if he talked too fast, I had to slow him down. And he did talk a lot from time to time, but never about the injury. Archer lived with towels over his head, often drenched in sweat from his autonomic dysreflexia. We tried to go to rehab, but they said we had to wait in his room now until they came to get him. But they often didn't come at all. And when they did, they were always cheerful. But I could see that Archer was a burden to them, and they were just going through the motions of walking with all the tubing and the towels and the oxygen. It was a scene when and if they did come to get Archer to go to the rehab gym. It was stressful. I did believe in the Shepherd Center, though, and I wanted to trust them and their expertise with all my heart. But I was seeing things differently than they did. For instance, I know Archer was not eating, but what they brought him for lunch was a bunch of garbage, pies and donuts and cookies. That's what the nutritionist recommended. I can't believe they even called her a nutritionist. She would come by once a day to ask what Archer had eaten, which was not very much. I would try to give him some vegetables or a tiny bite of a tiny piece of chicken on a skewer from Zoe's kitchen dropped off by one of the Atlanta angels. The nutritionist said he could have things like moon pies and cream puffs 
if he wanted. He could barely swallow, and it didn't make sense to me because all that sugar and grease was hard on a digestive system. That's not rocket science. And his digestive system was now only used to liquids through a feeding tube. And his system was also not fully innervated. As I was beginning to understand more about Archer's injury, I didn't understand the nutritionist. When one of the nurses who came in to check on the nurse assistant who was performing Archer's bowel program one morning casually asked us if we were going to choose a long-term acute care facility near our home or someplace else. Our belt fell over and I thought I'd throw up. Everything in my gut told me we were being talked about and we had no input in our future. We had no input on our lives. I felt myself getting sicker and sicker to my stomach. And so, after one of Archer's midnight suctions was ended, exhausted, I ventured into a quiet, empty, small conference room. It was about one o'clock in the morning, and I texted Kelly Sidnor, asking her to call me if she were awake. I prayed she would return my call. I was desperate to talk with someone who understood this crazy situation. Even though it was very late, she did call me. We talked that night for over two hours. It was only when one of the nurses came to get me as they needed me for another deep suction that I ran back to Archer's room. I reached out to Kelly for an interview as I thought you might like to meet her. Here's an excerpt from that interview conversation about our calls during Archer's time at the Shepherd Center. I've never had the opportunity to ask you really how that came about, um, how you got my text number, and so maybe we could start there. You don't know that story? I don't. You don't know how I got your information? I don't. Oh, Mac McElroy. Mac McElroy, my UVA buddy. Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, we would be, we were like going to parties together when we were an undergraduate at the University of Virginia. He's, right. he's from so Richmond. You know, he's now the Sheltering Arms Foundation president. My um, gosh. Yes. So, he and uh, my son, Cole, I, I reached out to Sheltering Arms after Cole was injured, and we were trying to figure out how, how would we pay back all the kindness and the goodness from so many people that have reached out to us. And all you can do is stay the course, try to be successful, and pay it forward. That's all you can do. And so we reached out to Sheltering Arms, and when Archer got hurt, Mac reached out to me and said, please call my friend Louise. 
Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps. The hair on my arms are up right now because wow. the last time I saw Mac, we were at brunch after we had come back, you know, for some alumni event at UVA and all my sorority sisters, we all adored Mac. And he was like the only <laughs> guy who met us for brunch and we were all busy talking. And, and then to think that subsequent to that, that this uh -huh. happened. Incredible. Yep, that's how it happened. Incredible. Incredible. I am, I am so grateful and it's all these, it's just relational connections. That's the connection with Mac. Well, now I know. Uh -huh. Well, it also explains how you and why you called me on the front end because we were still at Atlantic Care in Atlantic City, New Jersey, when you reached yeah. out. You and, a, and another mom had actually come to the hospital from New Jersey and visited, but she did not get my cell phone number, nor did I ever know who she was until a long time later. But the same mm -hmm. message was left by you via text and by her on a little piece of paper. And they both said, it's going to get better. Yes. You told me it's going to get better. Yeah. It is going to get better. It, you know, it's not going to be the same. You know, we all, we, we, we hope and pray that there's going to be some miraculous miracle. And, um, but at some point you have to pick up your britches where you are and get moving yeah. and, and it does get better over time and boy, but it's a roller coaster. It gets better and then, yeah, it gets exactly. bad yeah. and it gets better and it gets bad yeah it, and, it's not like a slow uphill climb and you make it it's it has so many divots and uh crevices that you fall into and and you can be lost for months if not years i think on this journey and then you sort of climb back up again right someone said to me once um they said you know kelly you need to slow down because this is a this is the marathon. It's not a sprint. And I just looked that person dead in the eye and I said, and I, <laughs> I gotta go, yeah. you know, because that I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the all in. It was that all in attitude that had me reaching back to Kelly in the middle of the night as Shepherd, And I knew she had been by her son's side with ups and downs too. All I needed was someone who had had a similar experience. All I needed was someone who understood. And she was that person. I was scared and angry and feeling helpless when I called her. I remember as my story tumbled out of my mouth in every which way direction that I was yelling. And then I cried, and then she yelled and cried with me. I told her I had asked for a family meeting. I didn't know what to do. And she helped me come up with a plan for how to approach Shepard in that meeting. She and I talked maybe two or three times over a month or so, and it was enough. I had not called her again until now. Here is another excerpt of our memories of that time. 
I was not the only mom Kelly had reached out to. When a family's life is so turned upside down, the human person is thrown into, like you've got horse blinders on at the races. Your bandwidth is very narrow because you can only afford to think about the next, the the now and the next, the now and the next. The best way to be of service and to love and to calm somebody who is in the situation that you and I were both in is to meet them where they are. Do you see it that way? Yes, but it's hard when the, um, to, to meet them where they are emotionally, yes. Meeting them where they are physically is even more impossible because there's, these injuries happen all over the place, yeah. and they're, they're not rare, but they don't happen every day, and it's catastrophic when it happens. So when it does, there's only like a speckling of people that can really relate and they're not always in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I think Zoom is awesome, and it's become more of a thing now. Back in the day... No, we didn't have anything in, like that. No, it was just the phone, right. and we can only catch you in a minute or two between sessions, and you're running to see this doctor. Oh, oh my goodness, the neurosurgeon just walked in. I have to go. So there was no... Uh, it wasn't ever very fluid. It was very choppy. Yes, exactly. Very, very choppy. And, um, and so when I met with or spoke to uh, women, especially the moms, I would say, let's, let's not, we're not going to chit chat. We can only talk about what your child needs right now. This is your next move. This is your next step. Focus on this one thing. You can just get this accomplished today. It'll, it'll be a great milestone for you. Just trust me on that. Focus on this. And don't get distracted by everything else because there is so much to distract. And I like to narrow in on one or two priorities for that day. And then call me in the morning. Let me know, you know, what's the next thing? Because then we could come up with a plan together about what's the next step based on what happened the day before. And I called Kelly the next day and told her my request for a family meeting was scheduled three days from now. It was the loss of another week of a plan, but it was the gain of time for Archer's lungs to strengthen, is the way I looked at it. I just had to be patient and have faith. One thing at a time, right? Well, sometimes all we can do is take things day by day, I kept reminding myself of this, as I knew, on an intellectual level, as initially observed and stated by our mediator, Rachel Wall, back in Cape May, a mere three days after Archer's injury, that Billy and I were in shock and experiencing trauma. But now, moving into our third month, I was aware We were barely in any different place emotionally or mentally. We were still in the midst of an unexpected crisis with a barrage of moving parts. Science has proven that our brains cannot truly multitask. 
I mean, they do, of course, on those things that don't take executive thinking, like breathing and walking or typing, looking around, sometimes, God forbid, even driving. But anything that takes focus, anything that is new, that needs to be comprehended or taken in fully, we must concentrate. And we are much more powerful and thus empowered when we offer our full attention to that moment at hand. Concentrating, but also relaxed with an awareness of all that is around us, not just a selective slice. But that is not what is even possible in the trauma experience or high conflict or crisis. In those instances, we only take in a slice of reality. I knew this, and I also knew I could not alter the trauma experience for myself completely. I was trying to be much more expansive and self-regulated. But I was living the trauma experience. So the best I decided to do was to lean in to a lot of internal resources I did have, including faith in God and a lot of external resources I had, including friends' offers and strangers' wisdom. I trusted. Don't be afraid to lean on those around you in times of stress and crisis. Feel the support of the ground and of the arms of friends and their kindnesses. They will teach you new and important things, or they will help you clarify your own path, just like Kelly did for me. Kelly also assured me she was keeping up and reading the Archer blogs. It was a relief, as I knew when I called her I didn't have to repeat myself, and we could use our time wisely to strategize, and for me, to get clear. There were so many parts of every churning wheel that did not make it into the family and friends updates. My midnight calls with Kelly were some of those parts. Another was my meeting another family at Shepherd, a husband and wife team from Tennessee. It was he who had befriended me on Friday of this week in the shepherd garden where I had gone to pray one morning while Archer was having his program. He said he had seen me there and asked if I would meet his wife. He told me they had a son on a different unit, the brain injury unit, who had been in a Jeep accident while out hunting with his friends. He was around Archer's age and they were on needles and pins for his recovery, uncertain about his future, as I was about Archer's. He said his wife was very despondent and low. 
He told me, though, they had a car and extended an invitation to me to have lunch with them later that day to have some fun. It was Friday when Archer would be with other adolescents on an activity. So I said yes. The rest of the morning for me was like being a senior in high school again, thinking about the upcoming high school prom, anticipating the most wonderful adventure. And it was wonderful. I walked out front of the Shepherd Center into the bright sunlight, still wearing my one pair of white pants and a cotton wrap. I looked around, hoping I would recognize him again. And when they pulled up and waved, I hopped in their SUV and we sped away. We pulled into the Chipotle on Peachtree Road and he ordered six margaritas for the three of us. <laughs> yeah, a frozen margarita. I think my eyes must have popped out of my head, not only because he ordered six of them, but I had never seen or heard of such a thing before in a fast food restaurant. As I slurped mine down with my burrito, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. But in that 50-minute respite, crowded as we were around a small table, we talked about our sons, and it wasn't long before the three of us were crying and then laughing together with tear-stained faces and frozen margarita and plastic cups. It was so hilarious, the tragedies of our lives. We only saw each other one more time, but I shall never forget them. Margaret and Ed Apple from Memphis, Tennessee. Isn't it crazy the way complete strangers can enter your life like angels just when you need it and touch you in ways you'll never be the same again and you're able to touch back with a knowing because no words are necessary. The odd way that crisis brings us together in ways that, well, in ways that make us stronger, in ways that make us love more deeply. I returned to the Shepherd Center to work on my mediation case, pursue finding a way for Archer to stay up with his schoolwork, and call around for an ADA contractor and someone who had ADA experience in Baltimore for our home and submitting a request for approval from our neighborhood for renovations to our house, as well as how Archer could get on SSI and making sure about the friends coming later that night that they'd be taken care of. And I'd give them my orientation and had to go get the bag of letters and cards I had for them to read to Archer. I was back to being busy. I framed it all in my head as being short-term. We just had to get Archer breathing on his own, the support he needed to get back to school, then to start a rehab program to walk, and then go home 
with a ramp until he walked, and then to return to the shepherd to participate in their outpatient rehab program so he could walk in the next year. I could see the plan, and I was in for the long haul, whatever we needed. It was tragic. We can do it. The next morning, I wrote this family and friends update. I felt upbeat. Come to the Shepherd. October 3rd, 2015. Day 60. Saturday. 30 days in Atlantic City Trauma ICU. 12 days in Shepherd Acute Care ICU. 19 days in Shepherd Rehab. Where has the time gone? I know it's been a week plus since I've given you a status report. The main update, the deep suctions continue. But Archer had an outing. The medical plan may change. First, the outing. On Friday, Archer and two other paraplegics went to the movies with four Shepherd staff. It took them five hours, but they did it. Archer came back feeling good. Thank you, Shepherd, for fun Fridays, just for the adolescents and their adolescent friends if they visit. It was Archer's first time, but Archer may now go every Friday. No adults allowed. (laughs) All good. The respiratory thing is kind of getting us all down, though, I'd say. Certainly wearing us out. Even staff seem wearied. Imagine the effort for Archer. The severity of his injury is so real, and as time elapses, even with all the amazing progress, we seem to be stagnating regarding his respiratory. The part of the past week and this weekend that is the most sobering and that probably holds Archer's rehab progress back is the ongoing scourge of mucus. The daily and nightly suctions with their stubborn mucus plugs refuse to abate. Even as I returned Thursday, Billy and my brother William, who had come to help Billy, both reported a difficult few days. All of our spirits feel a bit low about the ventilator weaning progress. Our goals certainly are tempered. I suspect our game plan here will be altered. It's 5.27 a.m. now as I write you. We've just finished deep suctioning Archer for 43 minutes. The difference now is that it takes three of us, no matter what. Neither an option nor a luxury, because Archer's left arm has gotten quite strong. Isn't that wonderful? But also, now more spasmodic, 
especially during the deep suctions, and he doesn't like that at all. He has indicated to me sternly with his eyes that I am to hold down the spasmodic arm that flies up with the suctionings. So my job of holding his arm down from the involuntary contractions set off by his writhing and straining to cough up the gunk during the suctioning process actually requires both of my hands now as I need to lean on his arm to hold it down due to its growing strength. It's amazing to me the change in that left arm. Well, that change to me in a mere two weeks is really quite extraordinary. But that strength also brings a wilder and more dangerous situation for Archer during suctionings. But during the sessions, the person standing on the left side of his bed who is either hand-squeezing with two hands the large manual oxygen bag or snaking with both hands the long vacuum tube down Archer's trach into his lungs. And that person is in danger of being involuntarily struck. Indeed, someone could likely get hit hard now. And Archer, he's adamant that I or someone strong hold that left arm down. So Archer's initial request during suction sessions that I simply hold his left hand in place has now morphed to a straight jacket grip out of necessity. And there's another new interesting development that Archer doesn't like at all as well. The twitching of his left arm, which can be rather dramatic, moving as it might on its own, even during times of rest. Well, the first time I saw him agitated about this upon my arrival back, I smiled and reminded him, my love, it's actually good because your body is raring to go and just waiting to do what it wants to do, Archer, naturally. And it will. But the fact that he does not like it now brings with it more need for us to be both aware and present to help put his arm back in place when it gets spastic and falls off his bed or his chair. Upon a little further inquiry with Arch about it, though, I realized it's more than that. He's frustrated and embarrassed. (laughs) That breaks my heart. With all the other stuff he has to work on, work towards, and deal with, He's now experiencing embarrassment? He said he didn't like what he called the chicken wing. As he mouthed that, I had a flash of this boy when I was in grade school, being mean and cruel as he taunted some other kid making fun of him as a spaz 
making his own arm bend at the elbow with a wrist drooping. Why are some kids so mean? Maybe because their moms didn't stop them in the act of winding up to be mean. I don't know. But I knew what Archer meant. Whether people doing or saying things to be funny, also have an intention to be mean or not, the effect can still be very hurtful. (laughs) After all, the devil is a funny guy, a clever guy. So if you happen upon someone who is spinal cord injured, a C3 to C5, please know there is a tendency for the arm to want to bend at the elbow with the wrist drooping down. True, it's not a pretty sight. But I was so grateful Archer could tell me where he felt vulnerable. And while the creative miracle is happening, if you happen to be with Archer when his arm spasms or chicken wings, I believe he would be grateful for your kindness and straightening it out for him. But you can ask him. It occurs to me, though, that his embarrassment about this new state of affairs heralds a new opportunity for Archer. Self-compassion. Billy and I are sure that Archer's stoicism for the past two months has been in large part related to grief as much as to pain. And it's only been two months. Imagine if you were in a straitjacket, let's say, not able to do anything for yourself, plus not being able to talk, but your brain and all head functions were still sharp and alive. The hell that must be. The expression on Archer's face as his left arm spasmed and he tried with his shoulder to wrench it back in place to no avail was utter disdain. He was disgusted that his body not only broken and not working as it should, is now doing annoying things that he would never do and that he has no control over whatsoever. None. This emotion of embarrassment, tinged with disdain, is new. Oh, dear Lord, please Help me respond in the most loving way I can. I thanked Archer, telling me, and I told him I could see how it could be embarrassing. And I told him, we will just have to educate people, and that he was loved and people would understand. But as for feelings of disdain and disgust, 
I want to guard Archer's spirit against the ravages of such mean emotions. I think we should all guard our spirits against these, actually. If you are feeling disdain towards anyone, let's provide for each other a safe and loving space for the discharge of the emotional energy that fuels disdain so it doesn't get trapped in a cycle of cynicism or a lifetime of future bitterness or meanness. Let's pray for the resolve to be on alert for feelings of disdain and disgust and give them safe harbor quickly where they can be attended to and re-emerge as self-compassion and relational compassion. A little bit of time passed, and then I told Archer, he can expect these spasms as part of the injury and also as part of the recovery. That we can welcome the spasms, that there's nothing to be ashamed of, and that he is our hero and giving us an example of how not to give up. I then took the risk and shared my thinking that frustration and anger and embarrassment are often just outward expressions of a much more tender emotion of being afraid or hurt. I told him, it's okay to be afraid. It's human. Fear can save our lives sometimes, but it can also hurt us and hold us back from good things. God wants us to live unafraid. We can breathe easier when we are unafraid, I told him. A most remarkable thing happened. Archer began to shiver. It began in his shoulders. Then his shoulders and chest began to really shiver, and then his lips and face. I felt his forehead, and he was not feverish. His shakes were almost uncontrollable. But I was not afraid in a weird way. I had this feeling that it was his underlying terror beginning to have an energetic outlet. I told him it was good and not to be afraid and they would subside and that it was okay to shake as long as he needed to shake. I put both my hands on the back of his shoulders as support and let him shake. He shook for some time in silence and then it lessened and then he was still. He then asked for one of his prayer shawls. The prayer warriors have sent blankets. We use them all. I draped it over the front of his chest and tucked it in as best I could around his neck and shoulders as he sat in his power chair. 
I was familiar with emotional release like this and was so grateful to my years of somatic training and personal experience with my Enneagram work. Everything I know is being called upon with this Archer experience. And there's so much I will need to learn. I was filled with gratitude that Archer had that experience. I was also so grateful for good teachers and knowing what was happening so I did not panic or shut Archer down. Trauma carries trapped physical energy that needs a safe way to be released. I'm sure it will not be the last time. While we think our beliefs cannot be seen, they actually can be everywhere. What we have come to believe shows up in how our bodies move and shake, trying to shake off what threatens our belief system, what we say, do, how we behave, what others say and do and how they behave. Yes, what we believe can also be studied, just like science, but not in the traditional scientific ways of knowing. Whatever you want to believe, I mean, you can, with a shift of attention at any time. And that shift of attention, when done habitually, creates an encoded belief system, a worldview. It's all there, in plain sight, for anyone who chooses to observe their habits of mind, which are all informed by that worldview. And the truth is, science, I mean, what can be explained, and belief, what is not yet explained, or might always remain a mystery, can still be lookalikes. As both can be studied, both can be seen and understood at deep levels. But it is believing in something that is a mystery that is larger than what the brain and mind can explain. And that belief is felt in the heart, in the entire body, and beyond the body. I believed in the creative miracle. As Archer's body experienced what I viewed as the first emotional release, my mind wandered to what I knew about emotions, that they are expressed through motion, a twitch, a smile, jumping, dancing, pushing, pulling, shaking, trembling. So many physical motions. And while Archer has almost none of those anymore, he does still have shaking, trembling. I smiled that he did. He still had that gift. How he would be able to discharge all the emotions surrounding his accident 
and knew he had at least one outlet. Here is more of the family and friends update. On Thursday, I went to check to see if we were still on track for the Inexiflator, which Archer was promised could be used 10 days ago this Monday, which will help with respiratory. Yes, says the pulmonologist. So I see that as good news on the way and one step closer to no ventilator. Or so I thought. But at the end of the third, not bad, deep suction of the night Thursday, as the respiratory team of two located the pockets of packed-in mucus in his lungs, and Archer worked hard to break it up and expel it. I would encourage Archer, and the staff would too, and it sounded something like this. I'd say, Yes, Arch, you're doing it, and you're getting it out. And the tech or the nurse on the bag would echo, That's right, Archer. And I'd say, and your diaphragm, it's getting stronger, Arch. And they'd echo again, that's right, Archer. And our chorus would sound like this each time, after and before they'd ask Archer if he was ready for them to go down into his lungs again with the long snake suction tube. And when he had coughed up the last of the bad boy mucus plugs, at least for then, I said, Arch, You are doing so well, honey. You're going to get rid of this ventilator. But there was silence from my choir. I had this sickening feeling that they knew something I did not. We already knew that the shepherd rehab doctor was not in Archer's corner. Unlike Dr. Elna Hall at Atlantic Care, whom we had heard from in past season three episodes, his rehab doctor refused to get to know Archer to personalize his care. Archer is a fighter, and he was fighting every day. She would have seen that if she had only bothered to spend more than a scant couple minutes breezing in and out of his hospital room but I believed in Archer enough for the both of us, and I wasn't going to give up on advocating for his care and rehabilitation. It was my prerogative as a mother. I was going to speak up. After all, if a mother doesn't speak up for her child, who will? I was starting to feel like we were on borrowed time, though, at the Shepherd Center. And this feeling of not knowing was unsettling. And it was beginning to be a constant undercurrent in every move I made. All we could do was push through, move forward, and fight for healing. Pause and rest and fight some more. As for Archer's pain, I also believe that it is being relieved by kind gestures, bringing and offering physical comfort, for sure, 
I mean, it sounds silly, but if you travel and ever sleep in a different bed other than your bed at home, which I hope you love, by the way, and make special, as it is a place of essential rest, think of the difference in sleep you have when you stay in a bed at a hotel, let's say, that has feather pillows versus a bed with a flat, lifeless pillow for your head. I mean, not to say one is better than the other, for I can assure you with all my travel, I have laid my head on both and been grateful. But from a comfort standpoint, it occurred to me that a really nice, soft pillow could benefit Archer rather than the hospital issue. And so it was. Two local angels who don't even know each other each brought Archer a long, king-size feather pillow, both of which have made a world of difference around his neck. We stuff a rolled towel on either side underneath the long pillow to provide good support as he rests his head deeply in the softness of the down. He likes that a lot. It was a really simple change that has made a big difference. We are so grateful. Thank you, Comfort Angels. And thank you, God, because it is through you that these angels on earth have been so kind. There's no way we could be caring for Archer like we are without the help of all the good people. And no way that you all could keep up your kindness to us without God's grace. It is a long haul. We know. Thank you for still being here with us. You're true angels on earth. We are so thankful. And I've been thinking about that, as you might imagine. How in the world, with Billy and I and Archer and Paula and Pete and Dewey and Dutch, how will we ever thank all of you angels, all of you? How will we do that? And in the most personalized kind of way that we would like, we probably cannot. But until we figure that out, please know that we do. We so truly do give you thanks in our hearts at all times of the day, every day, each of you each of your prayers and gifts of love. Do not think for one moment that you are not loved and appreciated. We couldn't do this journey without you. You're helping us in the many ways that you do. Surely, that is part of the divine plan, what God intends for all of us. I know it is helping the creative miracle to manifest How could it not be so? It is. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. 
thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. Tune in next week for our companion, Blink of an Eye Trauma Healing Learning 16, Breakthroughs in Pain Management for Trauma Healing, with Dr. Melissa Farmer and Dr. Apkar V. Apkarian. Thank you for listening, and thank you for telling your friends about the Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by the Blink of an Eye Nonprofit, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. Blink of an Eye provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families, led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. Blink of an Eye also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. To donate and find out more, visit www.blinkofaneye.org or events.icthat.org. That's events.i, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.